So in episode three, we spoke about guests when they check out the experience and things that we can do. This episode, we're going to cover uh, payment, the fees involved in running your Airbnb, dealing with bad reviews, guest information, and difficult situations. So let's begin with, with fees, Sylvia. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. <laughs> Thank All you, right. Ray. So regarding fees, I think it can be quite daunting. When I was setting up my Airbnb, there are lots of different options to set up fees. Um, for, the, for the beginner, the first timer, what do you recommend when approaching the fee structures or even understanding the fees to be on the platform? Mm, yeah, because there's more than just the nightly fee. I mean, the nightly right. fees is one thing, but what additional fees do you want to have? The most common one is a cleaning fee. Um, and the other common, not so common, but also used is a, an additional nightly fee per person. So um, they're the decisions that you need to make. Uh, when, when starting, you could... Um, you know, try one out, not try it out and see how you go. I think I think everyone I know has a cleaning fee. Is that right? Do you have it as well? I've been I've been experimenting with the cleaning fee. I think when I first started, I wanted to not have a cleaning fee because I wanted a luxury premium experience where it didn't have a sense of being nickel and dimed, like being charged for every additional item and just having a higher nightly rate. And mm -hmm. then, then I tried the other way, which is lowering the, the nightly rate and then putting in the cleaning fee. And I think something to keep in mind when saying these fees is the cleaning fee is not a per day fee. It's a for the stay. And so mm. it fluctuates a lot if you put in a cleaning fee that's fixed because then if someone's staying for a short period, it adds quite a bit to each stay versus if they stay for a week, then like per day, the, the nightly rate only goes up by a little bit. So I think that's what I realized is, is depending on the type of guests and you, if you have guests that are more often short-term stay people, adding, adding a fixed fee has a different impact to them. It's greater than if you have typically longer stay people for a week than adding a $100 fee get to divide that over the seven days versus over two days so then it's a 50 dollars per day cleaning fee uh, they look at and so it all adds up anyway to the guests and they can see what the total um the total cost will be sometimes it can be misleading when you look at listings because you see the nightly rate and then when they when the guests proceed to check out or are reserved they see this increase in fees because then all the other fees are added on top of it so i think I think it's good to start with a cleaning fee. If I were to go back, I would put in a reasonable one. It may not cover having professional cleaners come through, but at least you know that you do add a fee to accommodate the fact that someone, whether you do it yourself, will be compensated for the time. What do you think? Yes. Sylvia? And well, what you're saying makes sense, especially in justifying taking nightly bookings so what i mean by that is anyone who books one night if you're covered for the cleaning involved in in cleaning preparing for one night 
um, then having that cleaning fee makes sense. Um, so all of that is, I think, what you've said is fair and reasonable. Um, I and then and then of course, if it's a house, the cleaning fee is a lot higher than if it's just a one bedroom that is shared in a home. So again, it's a matter of deciding what would be a, a fair cleaning fee. Um, so that can be anywhere from thirty dollars to probably three hundred and something dollars. Do you know it's it can be it can vary quite radically itself. But look, I I tried something very alternative, and 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 I have stayed with it. I must admit for almost ten years, and that is I don't have a cleaning fee. Um, my reasoning for that initially was that I was doing the cleaning, so it you know why I didn't want to be charging. But what I found is that it it justifies the guest keeping and maintaining it clean during their stay because um, they, they're not, they haven't paid extra for a cleaner. And there was a lot of publicity some time ago with Airbnb where people were complaining, well, guests were complaining that they were expected to take the garbage out and expected to um, clean and wash up and they, and, and they would say things like, but I've paid a cleaning fee. So for me, that avoids that argument. There's no cleaning fee, so it's up to the guests to maintain it. I found that works, especially with the kitchen, because hotels do not have kitchens, whereas most Airbnb properties do, whether it's a kitchenette or a gourmet kitchen, um, there's still a kitchen involved. And if they were to use, if the guest was to use the oven and everything, you would you know, there would be a lot of cleaning to do. So I find that not having a cleaning fee works, um, and so I've stuck with that. It does mean, too, that I can keep the nightly rate a little bit higher because my competitors all have cleaning fees. It works for me. It may not work for everyone. What are your expectations with guests on the level of cleaning that they're responsible for during their stay and when they leave, given that you don't charge a fee? Well, remembering that mine is shared, so it's a different scenario than if they get the entire place to themselves. So I, I don't expect them to take garbage out. I do that. I don't expect them to manage the dishwasher. I do that, meaning um, that I get it started and I empty it. Um, I just expect them to keep whatever they use clean. So, and um, for example, if they, you know, after using the bathroom, they need to leave it clean. After using the kitchen, they need to leave it clean. I'm not asking them to do anything beyond that. They don't have to vacuum. They don't have to mop. They don't have to take out garbage. They don't have to just leave it the way it was, maintained the way it was. Um, so I, I've, I've found that to be successful. Um, my guests are generally very clean. It's interesting, though, because when I have the one room that is for my guests and I see that there's a difference between their being cleanliness um, or how much I have to clean, I should say, if it's one person or two people. There just seems to be extra cleaning, not just towels, um, when there are two people. There are more... Um, finger marks everywhere and <laughs> just there, there just seems to be more cleaning with two yeah, people. So, so what, 
what do you charge for an additional guest and how did you decide? Okay, for years uh, from when I started, it was $20 a night. Um, and then I rec more recently charged that to, changed that to $30 a night per additional person. Now, the reason I do that is, is it, uh, there, there's more than one reason. I, I mean, the obvious is that you, you, they're using more of the um, utilities such as water and gas and power, um, all of those, and th those have all increased in price. So that was part of my reasoning for increasing it. The other um, motivation for me is that I actually prefer as guests, single people, I don't mind couples, they're absolutely fine, or two sisters or two friends or whatever, absolutely fine, but I don't want that all the time. So, and what I was, was getting was more... Um, couples, whether they're, they're friends or, or actual partners, um, and not as many singles, because once they have the nightly rate, they, you know, it was more economical. So for me, it was a matter of, well, I'm steering it more towards singles, and I felt it was only fair that couples pay more. And so that's my second reason for having the nightly fee. And it works, because be before I I um, started to have the additional fee for the additional person. I was getting maybe 70% uh, couples and 30% singles. When I added the fee, it was it, it, it sort of shifted to 70% singles and 30% couples. And I'm really comfortable with that. Um, I don't want any more uh, couples um, than that. So... I found that that strategy worked for me. Yeah, actually, my additional person, additional guest fee is $60. And oh, wow. Uh, okay. And the reason is very similar to you. I think in a shared space, um, it does increase the cleaning. That means more towels. Uh, it means um, more people in the kitchen. It means potentially more noise because there's some there's someone your guest can talk to uh, that yes. chatting. Um, it does mean more garbage usually. And I yes, think that's true. I what was important for me was to align the, the incentives to attract the guests that I wanted more like similar to what you said. And so because of the additional fee, when there is a booking for two guests, then at least it's offsetting the additional cleaning and garbage and potentially noise but it also means that during, during the, throughout the year, I tend to get more individual guests. And I find that individual guests spend even less time in the home and it's just quieter. And especially because it's shared, it's my preference and that's my target. Um, exactly. That's, that's, I, that's exactly for me too. That's been my target. Also, um, and I'm sorry to interrupt, Ray, but um, when, when there's two people, I, I suddenly thought you're, you're um, attending to both their requests or both their needs. So there is a little bit of extra work. Mm -hmm. I in, think for communication, it well. makes it, I think for communication, it makes it also challenging because sometimes messages don't get passed between, between the two guests. And so you get to communicate directly with the person making the booking. But if they add an additional person, you might not have the contact details of that other person sometimes. 
And so mm. when you're communicating changes or feedback or issues, it, it's one more layer that you need to manage is making sure that you can get the message through to all of your guests, even though they're bookings with one mm. of them. When I've, uh, when I've spoken to a couple of other hosts that are my friends, and they've said that they haven't been successful having that additional fee per night and because um, they get questioned on it. Um, but these are, uh, are people uh, or hosts that are running um, a, a place entirely on its own. So it's not a shared situation. And I found that interesting. When I say it didn't work for them, they get um, questioned as to why there is that additional fee. Well, no one's ever questioned me about it. Oh, me neither. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, so um, it obviously that strategy works for you and I, and um, we've used it successfully. Yeah, I think about it as how much it would cost that person to stay somewhere else, and sixty dollars in the area that I ran the Airbnb was around the cost of a shared hostel, and I thought positioning the additional fee. If, if that person needs a place to stay and they didn't stay with their friend together at, at my place, they would have to find something else that's shared. And I, I, I believe, obviously biased, that my place is more comfortable and, and a more premium experience than staying at the hostel. And so I priced it mm. equivalent to their alternatives. And mm. no one's ever asked me for a discount on, on that. No one's ever questioned why there is a fee. It seems to work well. But I also don't know the people who skipped booking my place because of it. I never get to see the people or communicate with the people who looked at the listing, saw the price when they entered the guests, and then decided not to check out and, and make the booking. I actually did have one booking, now that I think about it, where someone made a booking request, but then through their messaging I realized that there are a couple or that there will be more than one person. And when I mentioned to them that there's a fee for additional person, they reacted with that's too expensive. And then they decide not to book. So I think it's important in those early communications to set expectations that it's a shared space, but also I think to confirm who's coming to say in the booking, the, the worst is if they put in one person and then they bring three people along. And, and they show up and then your place isn't catered for that. Um, have you ever had misunderstandings like that with a number of guests? Uh, well, I've, I've set my maximum to two and okay. I, I'm quite um, set on that, meaning that a child is counted as a person, not two mm -hmm. adults and, and, and you know, an additional child. So I've, I've had questions like, oh, can you said, you know, can one, there's three of us, can one stay on the couch? And I say, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's my home. I don't want um, anyone sleeping on the couch. So I'm very, very strict that it has to be two. I mean, I've got a, a, like any modern apartment, it's got an open plan living area, which includes the kitchen, the dining and the, and the lounge. So I don't want someone sleeping on the lounge because then you have to creep around the kitchen and the dining area and the balcony. So I'm not mm -hmm. having that. It's, it's my home and I, you know, I, I'm not that desperate. Um, so two people is my max. Um, I, I have had 
especially more recently, um, bookings where they've, they have the number of guests set as one, so yeah. booking requests, um, but when the, in their message they, they're saying we. So yes. it's, I, and at first I wasn't picking up on that, um, mm-hmm. but now I've learned to pick up on that. So I would pick up on it after I accepted the booking. Now I check that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just uh, one of my procedures. And then I will write to them and say, look, um, you will need to change the number of guests to two, and mm-hmm. yes, um, and there is an additional fee. Everyone has gone ahead with it, um, mm-hmm. except for one particular case, but that was just one night. And like you, she said, oh, it's it's over my budget. And, and that mm-hmm. was fine. I, I wasn't worried about um, a one-night booking. But anyone else has always proceeded. So in the event that I've missed that there's two and then I pick up on it later on, you can go, you can send them a message and you can also, the host can actually alter the booking. You can, mm. But however, once you alter it, the guest has to accept the alteration. So that's something that you can do um, after the, the booking request has been accepted. Any changes, you can alter them, but the guest has to, approve them and the same way around if the guest needs to alter the host for example if the guest needs to alter the dates of their stay the host needs to approve that so a request of alteration gets sent to either the guest or the host depending on who has changed it mm-hmm. I want so to I like that you, facility I want to ask you about discounts uh, it's something that is interesting for me because of my background building products is you can set different discounts based on length of stay and you can also set discounts on cleaning if it's shorter stays have you played around with discounts if yes why and if not why not okay i have a weekly discount and a monthly discount and that's it so um at different times it's i've played around with the different discounts i think I've got it set now at about 5% for a week and 7% for a month. Um, It's fine. I get longer stays, so I'm happy with that. If someone requests a discount, uh, usually I I don't allow it. I say, because often they're booking less than seven days, and I say Mm -hmm. I do give a discount, but it's over seven days. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, look, I'm, I'm booked out. So I, I don't need to be giving anyone a discount other how than the decide, ones that are set. How did you decide on the percentages and the duration that you want to offer? You want to offer a discount? I just tried it. Um, I think I had it a lot higher at first. I think I had it at 7% discount for a weekly over seven day booking and 10% discount over um, if it's over a month. Um, But then I tried to drop that back a little bit. Again, it's playing around with pricing. This is what you do if you're running any business um, to work out how you can maximize your profit. And that's, that, that is what you're doing. You're running a small business. So we've set all our fees, we're ready to go, 
and we have bookings. Um, tell us about the payment process for hosts. How do, when and how do they get their first payment for their bookings? Okay, so um, even though the, the guests may book months in advance or days in advance, whenever, the host does not receive any money until the guest arrives and has been there 24 hours. So it's a, it's a great business model for Airbnb because they're holding that money. Um, but I do believe it's the right thing to do because otherwise if the money was given directly to the host, the host could disappear or whatever the case may be, not deliver on what they've promised. So it, it seems that it is the right model that once the guest arrives, that's when, and 24 hours later, Airbnb transfers the money across. I find it's very fast coming across like the next day or the day after. If it's the weekend, then there could be another day's delay. But otherwise, I find I get paid very promptly once the guest has arrived. Oh. Sylvia, something happened. What? My, the recording crashed. Oh, what, do you, <laughs> what do you mean? I just got a message that said, um, the recording is <clears throat> well done. Keep this browser while we upload your quality. So I think it might have stopped recording. Hold on a second. Mic connection lost. Yeah, I was... To re- I, I just moved over and it, it, it left. Hold on a second. Uh, I'm sorry. I just moved my computer. Let's see. Who's my connection lost? Who's Mike? Yours or mine? Yeah, I think it's mine. Oh, okay. Um, let's see if I can continue with. Okay, I wonder if I can let me go back and see. Um, oh, I don't think I can continue recording. Let's see. Okay, I think we're we're recording again. Oh, good. Okay. Um, yes. Can you say something? I just want to check that your mic is on. Yes. Yeah, it's working. Cool, and we're recording. Great. Cool. Right. <laughs> Let Let's continue. I'll have to stitch this together somehow. Um, let's mm. talk about. Let's start back at. So, how do get hosts get? Uh, Let's start at how hosts get paid and when to expect it. Yes, hosts get paid um, once the guest arrives. 
Um, so even though the guest has booked months, weeks, days in advance, it doesn't really matter. Airbnb holds that money, which is a great business model for Airbnb <laughs> to have access to that money until the guest actually um, stays. Uh, and it, it does seem to be the right way about doing it anyway because if a host was to receive the money well in advance, you don't know if they're going to move house or forget about the booking or not deliver or whatever. So uh, it, it is fair that the host only receives their money 24 hours after the guest arrives and so it's all good with the guests. They've arrived. The place does exist. It's as per um, was marketed and then um, the, the, the money is transferred from Airbnb directly to the host and I find that I receive that money about 24 hours after that so it's very quick uh, unless it's, there's a weekend maybe it's another day after that so um, I find that the payment method has been extremely satisfactory. I don't have any complaints about it. Hmm. I've had challenges with this when I've had guests cancel and they haven't checked in or I've declined a booking, had to cancel and guests are expecting to have their money back. Um, I think this is one that's quite challenging. Have you had this experience or unique to me? So they haven't actually arrived? Yes. So they're... There's I can understand, a, yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I have had that and they will send me a message asking for their money back and I have to explain that I don't have their money. They need to um, address their query to Airbnb um, because a lot of guests don't know how hosts are paid and don't know that the host actually doesn't get paid until the guest arrives. So I once I clarify that with them, they seem to be on their way with um, asking Airbnb about um, money being refunded. Yes. That leads to our next topic on bad reviews, these misunderstandings, whether it's about the description, number of guests, uh, payment terms, in the past have led me to bad reviews. Um, have you had bad reviews? And if so, what can a host do when they feel as though the review is not warranted or, or correct? Okay. I mean, everyone will get a bad review at some stage, I assume. Um, <laughs> it's sometimes they're unreasonable, as you say, or there's been a misunderstanding. What, when, when you do get a, a review, every review, the host is allowed to respond once and then it ends there. So generally the way to handle a bad review, I think, is to, um, you know, acknowledge what it was that the guest was unhappy about and give an explanation on, you know, why it was like that or what changes the host has made to improve it. Um, if you think that a guest has been unreasonable, like before they leave, if your experience with that guest at your stay has been unreasonable, then you, you may, because you've got two weeks to write a review, one suggestion 
is to not write their review for two weeks. And I'm assuming that during that two weeks, you'll, you have other people coming to stay, other guests, and therefore the latest ones will always be on top so that then when the guests that stayed two weeks ago, when their review becomes public, it's, it's a, a few reviews down rather than being at the top. That's the way I would suggest managing it if you feel that you're going to get an unreasonable review. Um, but answering it and su making suggestions on what you've changed or where the guest was being unreasonable would be the way to um, handle it. I, I haven't. Um, I know that Airbnb doesn't allow the removal of reviews, but I do understand, Ray, that you have been successful in making them re remove a review or two for you. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's important for me that the reviews are accurate or relevant for potential guests. I take the reviews very seriously when I'm writing it for guests because I want other hosts to be aware if they're a great guest or if there were some challenges to be aware of them going into it. So I, yes. I spend effort writing them, but at the same time, I expect others to give my hosting experience um, in, an accurate review. And so sometimes when guests misread the information but confirm and then are unhappy or they, they're not very clear on the things they're looking for and then disappointed that they didn't have access to things that were available if they asked. Um, those are things that I, I don't support and I do raise those with Airbnb because Airbnb has a very fair community guideline policy that ensures that the Reviews are not of any inauthentic or retaliation towards the host because of any differences, but it's also that the reviews are helpful for the community. And so it's to help other guests understand the potential experience that they will have staying with me. And so if guests did not actually stay in my property, but they misread the description and then they don't want to stay, um, having them review the value in staying in the property or the experience in the property when they don't stay, it's not, not the most complete view. And so times like that, Airbnb has been very supportive to remove those reviews. Mm. I think you have a very good point around the timing of writing the reviews. It's a very good point around staggering them. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that in one of our earlier episodes, we mentioned around the notifications that happen. So if you write your review soon after the guest checks out, which is I think the late afternoon of the day of checkout, the guest will get a notification that there's a review waiting for them from their host and it will remind them to write one. And so if you've had a potentially not the best experience with a guest hosting them, many misunderstandings, or you're not sure what they may write, that may affect you, um, you could wait until the end of the two-week period because if you write your review right away, they will be prompted by Airbnb to see your review by writing theirs. And so then it's prompting them to, to write their experience. And then you have an opportunity to 
dispute it if you don't agree that it's fair. Mm, I agree with all of that. Yeah. The, the next thing we wanted to talk about is the guest information. How much detail do you need about your listing and within the property itself, local information? I started a, a local guide for my guests and I find many of them, if not most of them, do not read it. Uh, where I live, very coastal, very remote, quiet surf town area. Um, what have you found uh, to be the right level of information to help your guests? Well, I imagine that guests don't don't read it. I, I live close to the CBD and there's a lot going on. The number of restaurants, the number of activities, tourist activities, it is endless, like any um, popular city. So it, it, I just thought about it and I thought if I was to write everything down, it would be pages and pages and pages. I just don't believe anyone would arrive and start reading. So what what I've decided, what I am now doing, which has been extremely successful for me. So when a guest arrives, part of the short tour of the property, which I give them, I also ask them more about the reason for their stay. Some have um, business to attend, courses to attend, functions to attend, weddings, family, whatever. Um, others are, uh, arrive just as pure tourists. Now, they're the ones who really uh, would like suggestions. So that's when I um, ask them what interests them, what do they want to see, and I target exactly that. If people are, are needing to go to a particular pace by public transport, I will discuss that with them. I have found this to be hugely successful with my guests. They absolutely love it because we just discuss what it is that they're interested in. And so I I know for myself I wouldn't go reading pages and pages and pages trying to find um, what I'm looking for. It, the other thing, especially when we've got search engines, we're used to fast. Um, the other thing too is I will have people, uh, guests ask me about restaurants. And because there are so many in my area, again, it would be pages. So I say to them, what cuisine do you like or you, you feel like? Do you want casual? Do you want upmarket? Um, and so once they tell me, and because I make a point of getting to know my local area as much as possible, when new restaurants open up, I tend to go and check them out. I, I tend to be aware of any that may be closing down, all the changes um, that are happening in my local area. And, and, and therefore, when, when I ask them what cuisine would you like and they tell me um, or if they're looking for vegetarian or uh, that I direct them to the right restaurant and I just found that it makes them very, very happy. Excellent. Ray? Yes. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. So I, I agree with you um, that, that it can be too much information if, you, if they were to go through it all on paper. Yeah. And the part of the description of your property are the rules, and that includes 
the house rules and check-in, check-out times, um, responsibilities. What are your rules and how do you deal with uh, difficult situations with guests? Okay, so the rules um, surround smoking and use of the kitchen. I try and keep the number of rules to a minimum. Obviously, included in those rules are check-in and check-out times. I believe Airbnb sends those times to the guest anyway so that they're aware of them. So generally, you know, guests are very good and follow um, the house rules. Occasionally you will find someone that doesn't, um, whether it's because they didn't read it or they just couldn't be bothered, I'm not sure. But um, generally my, my experiences are positive, but occasionally you do get difficult situations. For example, if, if a guest is aware of the checkout time but doesn't leave, that's something that can be challenging to approach the guest, especially if you've got a busy day and you've got the next guest coming and you need to clean and prepare for the next guest and the guest that was meant to leave at 10 or 11 a.m. is still hanging around, that, that's quite tricky. How do you deal with it? I did have it happen to me once. I mean... Most guests, if they leave late, it's only 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's nothing. But I did have one that just seemed to be comfortable in the living area and stayed. Um, so I had to actually talk to him about it because I needed him to move on. And I did say you can leave your luggage here, but you do need to go. But because mine is a home, they seem to think that it's okay to hang around in a home rather than it's a hotel because in a hotel you can't check out late. You, you do need, well, you can ask for a later checkout, um, but generally you, you need, if, you're, if, you're, um, if you need to store your bags, you can store your bags at reception. So that's the kind of thing I offer. Yes, you can store your bags here, but I need you out because I need to prepare everything for my next guest. So it, it, it was a difficult situation that particular time because he seemed to think he could just stay and um, he was working and wanted to work on the dining room table, but I needed to get things done, including vacuuming, which is noisy. How do guests take those difficult conversations? Do they take it well? Are there, does it escalate? How, how do those conversations go? Well, it depends on, on the particular person. It's very, very important for me as a host when addressing them to be as polite as possible, not to um, aggravate the, the situation any further. Um, so it, I come from a service industry background, so I've been taught on how to deal with difficult situations and difficult people. Nonetheless, you can still end up in a difficult situation, but... Um, best ways to be as polite as possible and explain, you know, what your needs are and why you're asking them to do something. Uh, that, that would be the way. Um, most people react well to that. Occasionally you do get someone that doesn't still, no matter what effort you make, they, they don't react well. I did have one of those and um, she did write me a review which I thought was the worst review I've ever had. 
um, mm -hmm. and I've got over 400 reviews. It was probably my only bad review, but um, I responded to her and justified my position. This was in the review. But at the time, she just made it difficult for me. And every time I explained to her that what I was asking, it didn't seem to sink in. So all you can do is the best you can and hope that they will react well. And as I say, most people do. I find it's really important to have the rules set early on so in the the boundaries yes mm. I, th I think it's very important to have those rules defined but also an accurate description of what your property is and what it isn't so mm -hmm. for example in my guest room there's no cable tv but there's a chromecast and it's connected to the guest network so all the guests can stream from their phone anything on YouTube or Netflix from their account and, and watch TV, but it won't have local cable. So you do need to have, you do need to have a computer or a portable device that you can choose what you want to watch and then stream it on the TV. And I remember our last guest this year did not raise that she wanted to use the TV or that she didn't know how to use the TV to cast TV shows. And so when there are some issues around using the smart lock to the entry, entryway, she also wrote in our, in our chat that the TV's broken and it's always been broken. And I think that's where it's easy and very helpful to, to reference the, our description and just remind our guests that the TV is, is working as expected. It's, it's got Chromecast to stream uh, TV shows or movies, if you'd like. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't have cable. But if it wasn't described and it was too high level of just there's a TV in the room, every, people can interpret that many different ways. And I think it's the same with check-in and check-out times is that you can make exceptions. And we, when people ask, we try to accommodate them and tell them that whether or not they can for their booking. But normally, these are the rules. And so they understand that they're receiving an exception rather than uh, entitled to a change in check-in, check-out time. And so yes, easier. I mean, it, it's actually easier for someone to leave their, to, to, to um, leave their luggage behind and come and collect it later on than it is for someone, for a guest to be arriving early. I find the ones that are on early flights Mm -hmm. um, and they want to come straight from the airport, I do need to explain to them, well, actually, my guest staying that night doesn't need to check out till 11 a.m. You want to arrive at 9 a.m. My guest mm -hmm. is still going to be here. So what, I've, what I um, decided to do once, and I found that it has worked. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. I, if, for example, the night before, is actually not booked at the time in which the guest is requesting to come early. Now, closer to the time, I'm, every night is booked for me. So closer to the time, I would have that night booked and that's why it's a problem for them to arrive early. So what I say to them, I look at my calendar and, I, and if I see that the night before is not booked, what I will say to them if they're wanting to arrive early, I'll say, look, you can drop off your luggage, collect the keys, but you will need to leave 
I will give you suggestions on what you can do up until the check-in time. But um, the other alternative is you actually alter your booking request and add the day before. Therefore, when you arrive at 9am, the room is totally yours. You can crash, you're tired, whatever the situation may be, you can unpack. Um, and they're the option. That's an option initially I never thought about. But yeah. then I thought, why not if, if, that, if that keeps them happy? And I have had a small percentage take up that offer. Often the night before isn't available, so I can't make that suggestion. But I, um, some people say no, but then they will give me a lot more understanding because they've actually declined the offer of booking the night before. So um, it's it's back on to them that it was their decision to do that. So I found that a very interesting way of dealing with it and, um, you know, a way that I don't have to um, juggle a guest coming and going and, you know, one guest coming, another one going and, and, and all the luggage involved. So... That, that's a tip, I think, to suggest um, th that they book the night before if they want to come in early. That's a great idea. I, I have guests who have mentioned their flight arrives at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and they want to come drop off their bags and then they end up taking a shower and using exactly. the space as if, they're, it, it, as if they're checking in. And I think giving them the option for them to decide whether or not they want to have access to the room by booking the night before or leave their bags only, then it's very easy to manage that experience if they come and they start unpacking but haven't made the booking for the night. Um, mm. and so I think that's a really good idea. And I think giving those options are really good because then you're accommodating, but you still have your boundaries. And that's similar to the TV situation is that we do have cable downstairs in the common shared living room, or there's Chromecast on their private TV in their bedroom. So if they don't have a device, they can watch from the, sh from the common area, but they give up their privacy by having to be in the living room uh, compared mm. to streaming it from their phone to the TV in their room. Mm. And yeah. going back to guests arriving early, if they decide that they do want to drop off their luggage, and most of them do, and collect keys, in my message I make, I've learned to have the boundary of saying, once you drop off your luggage and collect the keys, you will need to leave. Um, because otherwise, I, my experience was exactly the same as yours. They come in, they're wanting to use the bathroom, the shower, and it's like, well, hang on, my previous guest has this space till 11 a.m. You can't come in at 9 a.m. and take over their bathroom. You know, so I make it very clear in my message that if they're dropping off their luggage, it is exactly only that. And that's why I add I can give you tips on what to do up until check-in time, which is um, you can return any time after check-in time. Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Sylvia, for this week's episode. It's really great. You're welcome. All right. I'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks, Ray. Bye.